Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, We're continuing in our series this morning. We're on week two, um, entitled How to Kill Giants and Influence People. Basically, we took a poll of everybody a few weeks ago, and this is the topic that you all said you needed the most input on. Um, Not quite, I jest. If you're a bit to hear, we're not quite that weird. Um, But we're basically, we're looking at the story of David and his leadership, how to kill giants and influence people. What kind of life did David lead, and what can we learn from his story of leadership? And last week, Aaron um, unpacked for us, um, really helpfully, David and Goliath. David, the small boy, meets large giant soldier, one slingshot, kills him, risks, um, steps out in risk, embraces his vulnerability, and so influences a nation, kills the giant. It was great. But a lot has happened in seven days since last Sunday. We've moved seven chapters on because we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 24 this morning. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to that. Seven, about seven, seven chapters, maybe about seven years actually. David, he's become something of a big shot in Israel. Everybody loves him. He's basically been running around solving um, all the problems in Israel. He's like the big military hero. He's been taking on the Philistines. He's um, kept peace in Israel. He's become something of a big deal. And a ladies' man, I might add. All the ladies love him. Ruddy and handsome. Very nice. So what might happen when someone turns into a big shot and everybody's talking about him all the time? There might be some jealousy and envy. And so enter stage right, King Saul, who is getting slightly jealous of David. David's doing all of this. He goes out into the street and he hears, oh, David, he's killed tens of thousands of people. Saul, he's just killed thousands. You know, that's not a lot, really. He's getting jealous. And out of this fear and insecurity in Saul, he starts plotting to murder David. It's a bit like EastEnders, basically. David is, is his son-in-law. I mean, not actually not at all, but bear with me here. Follow my drift. David is, is, is Saul's son-in-law by this point. So this is, this is like a family murder. And so David, he's gone from big war hero, everybody loves him, highest place of honor at the king's table, son-in-law of the king himself, to kind of nomadic, refugee, fugitive outlaw living in the wilderness, trying to escape from Saul and his thousands of soldiers who've been sent out to kill him. So things are looking pretty pasty, it's fair to say, and um, that's where we're going to start reading together this morning, 1 Samuel 24, and we're going to look at this story together. It'll come up on the screen, I think, if you don't have your Bible with you. 1 Samuel 24. After David returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. 
The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these men, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? David's getting pretty passionate at this point. Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's just pray as we come around God's word this morning. Father, we, um, we come to you this morning and we Um, We posture our hearts towards you. We want to receive your truth this morning. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you teach us? Would you point us to Jesus? And would you bring glory to our Father? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Amen. I wonder um, what you think of when you hear the word honour, honour, or a culture of honour. Perhaps you think of the Queen and the Queen's honour list, um, the, you know, the knighting thing. Um, perhaps you think Bethel, perhaps culture of honour and Bethel are slightly synonymous in your head. Perhaps you think of a Middle Eastern culture where honour is talked about as a concept, you honour your elders. 
perhaps actually honour feels to you like a quite an outdated concept or a pile of jargon that doesn't really mean anything. Well, I'd love us this morning to reconsider the concept of honour. And I'd love us to ask the question, how could I live a life of honour? What does it look like to honour like David did? I guess I'm talking about something a little different. I'm talking about a godly honour, an honour that kills giants and influences people. The kind of culture that we might find amongst us um, that influences communities for the good, that changes families, that builds strong businesses, that sees society um, function in a way that honours God and honours each other. Because I think when we look at this passage, this is one of David's defining moments of his leadership. Faced with this opportunity to once and for all do away with a man who's pursuing him to kill him, he ducks it, completely ducks it, and he chooses instead to honor Saul. And, you know, David did not get it all right, and you can read on through the rest of Samuel and you find a catalog of errors. But I think here we see David, he really nails it. Faced with the opportunity to kill Saul, he ducks it and he chooses to honor him. He sees him with a godly perspective and he responds appropriately. And I think um, as we look at our society, I don't know about you, but I see a society of dishonor. I see um, a society where we play the shame game or the blame game. It's his fault. It's her fault. It was this government who did that. It was this policy. It was what she said. Or we play the self-deprecation game. Oh, I'm no good at that. I can't, I can't do anything like that. Or we manipulate. We can so easily just twist things to our own advantage. We say, and then maybe nice things, and, and we mean well, but there's no solidness behind our words. We're saying things just to um, make ourselves feel good. And I don't, I don't say this to shame you or, or me or back you into a corner because I hold my hands up and I am so guilty of so much of the above. But I say it because I genuinely believe that God has us as a church on a journey of learning to look a lot more like Jesus. And when I look at the life of Jesus and I look at the life of David, I see a life of honor that influenced a nation for the good. And I'm kind of up for that, to be honest. Are you up for that? Yeah, a life of honor. So let's look at that this morning. God calls us to that. He calls us up, calls us to build a culture of honor where we posture ourselves for other people, where we think and we speak well of other people, where we receive the gifts of other people well, where we affirm the identities of the people around us, where we model the kind of leadership that we ourselves would want to receive. What does honour look like as we look at the life of David? And um, the first thing that I want to say is honour, I think, sees clearly. Honour sees clearly. Picture the scene with me, if you will, for a minute. David and his maybe 300, 400 men, they're hiding out in a cave. They're hiding from King Saul. It's extremely hot. They're encamped in the wilderness mountains. Um, And so they're hiding in the height of the sun um, in this cave because it's dark, it's cool, it's a good hiding place. They're kind of camped around the edges of this dark very large probably cave high high up in the mountain wilderness and so enter stage right I'll get it right this time (laughs) King Saul 
enters into the mouth of this cave. And you can almost sense the whispers going up and down the back of the cave. Is it King Saul? Is it, is it Saul? David? David, I think it's Saul. It's Saul. And so, actually, I was thinking about this. The fear in the cave must have been palpable. 400 men knowing that they're being chased by an army of 3,000 highly trained, highly effective, highly equipped soldiers led by King Saul. I mean, King Saul comes in kind of lit by the blazing sunlight of the cave. Because it was so bright outside, he wouldn't have been able to see. It would have been completely just a dark abyss to him. But they can see because they've been in the dark for a long time. They must have been expecting, as Saul appears, this kind of to be flanked by the thousands of soldiers. They're expecting some kind of bloody massacre in, in in the darkness of this cave. And so I've been working on this little pun for a while now. It must have been a great relief for both Saul and King's and David's men. Thank you, thank you. Um, when Saul instead squats down and basically it's an impromptu toilet stop for the king of Israel. It must have been quite a surprise. Basically, it's a bit like EastEnders meets Faulty Towers. This is meant to be kind of slightly hilarious here in the biblical text. And what the men see is murder. David's men round the back of the cave. They see King Saul and they see murder. They see an opportunity for revenge. But David, David sees an opportunity for honor. And David sees a king. All the ingredients for a very crude scene of violence are here. The king viewed from behind on his throne... But David turns the scene upside down. He refuses to see what the men see as they incite him to violence. He sees a king and he refuses to take revenge. And instead, he creeps up behind King Saul, taking his robe, which Saul would have discarded as he went about his business. um, And he cuts off a corner of the robe. I don't really know what was going through David's mind at that point or why he did it, because obviously... The scripture tells us that he was immediately conscious stricken. And I think that's because we need to understand here that the robe of a king represented his kingdom. So in cutting off a corner of the robe, David is essentially saying, look guys, it's going to be mine. I've got it. He might not have killed Saul, but he's essentially kind of, you know, humiliating him before David's soldiers. And so he's conscious stricken because David sees clearly, he sees that this is the Lord's anointed. He sees that this is not a kingdom that can be transferred to David with David's own hands, but it's something that must be received from the Lord. And so he repents and he forbids his men from murdering Saul, because I'm pretty sure, you know, they're all kind of whispering around the backs of the caves, David, what are you doing? Come on, kill him. Right, David's not done it. You, get out there, (laughs) kind of thing. David feels guilty, and so he turns, and with his God-honoring eyes, he forbids his men to murder Saul. So honor sees clearly. I wonder what you see this morning, what you're seeing. What's your perspective? Do you see with a God perspective? Do you see the glory of God where it's present in people? I know I, I don't always see that. But maybe there's just something there for us this morning that as honor sees clearly, what would God have us see differently this morning? Perhaps for you, a particular situation or family member comes to mind or a friend or, and God's actually saying, would you just look again? 
Look again with my eyes. A very wise woman said to me, encourage the good wherever you find it. And if you can't find it, then look harder. (laughs) And do you know, sometimes there have been days when I've had to get my microscope out and look harder. (laughs) But it's always fruitful, I think, when we stop and we say, Father, would you help me see this with your perspective? Because honor sees clearly. But honor also dignifies. David, he's allowed Saul to walk scot-free out of the cave, probably down quite a sharp ravine back to his men. And David basically takes quite a big risk. He steps out to the entrance of the cave and he calls out to Saul, my lord, the king. He exposes himself to Saul and his army. And he basically, in this quite long speech, he makes absolutely clear that he had every opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't. So could Saul please just go home, thank you very much, and leave him alone. And for me, what was so interesting in this speech is the language that David uses. And I think there's something here that God would have us just pause over this morning. The language of honor. David shows a huge amount of respect to Saul. And it'll come up on the screen, I think. My master, these are the words that he calls Saul, my master, the Lord's anointed, my Lord, the king, my father, all of which are true. These are who Saul is, but I'm pretty sure David's men standing behind him in the cave are expecting slightly more colorful language to come out of David's mouth. Go on, David, give it to him. Um, And instead, David's words clothed Saul with the identity that God had given him. Sure, Saul was messing it up big time, but this is actually still who God had in mind when he appointed Saul as king. David um, empowers and dignifies his father-in-law, even as he seeks to kill him. And that's because honor, real honor, never allows someone else's actions to dictate my attitude towards them. Honor never allows someone else's actions to dictate my attitude towards them. And if that sounds really hard, then it's worth us just pausing here a minute and remembering that's actually exactly how God himself treats us in Jesus. We messed up big time. (laughs) We disobeyed as as humanity. We've We're sinful. (laughs) We've let him down. We've dishonored each other. We've hurt each other. We've hurt God. But still God didn't let our actions impact on his attitude towards us. He still sent his son. He still came and demonstrated his kingdom. He still came and loved us. He still came and died for us. He still rose again for us. And he's still inviting us into relationship with him. No matter what we've done, that invitation is always there. No matter how we feel, that invitation is always there to come to the Father. Never allows our behavior, our actions to dictate his attitude. And that's what honor is. So David's words are truthful, but they're also bold. Because honor isn't just about saying nice things or good things or truthful things about and to people. It's also sometimes about taking a stand 
and saying the things that actually know this is what I am responsible for or this is um, I'm standing my ground I am asserting my responsibility for the things that God has called me to and so I'll speak truth but I'll speak it boldly and we see that with David verse 11 I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. He's saying, Saul, look, this is how it is. And I'm not going to gloss over the facts. I'm going to speak truth over you, but I'm going to speak it how it is. Honor speaks boldly. But honor is also more than truth or boldness. It's also tactfulness. And I thought this was maybe slightly sneaky of David, but it is worth us learning from this. You'll see verse 9, David's extremely careful um, in the way that he speaks to Saul. He says, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? He tactfully suggests that it was other people who put into Saul's mind that David um, was causing rebellion and therefore needs to be made away with. Actually, David knows full well that it's Saul's own murderous and jealous heart that's led him to these situations. But in front of Saul's men, flanked by his 3,000 soldiers, David chooses to give him the benefit of the doubt. And so he empowers his leadership. He leaves him responsible for his own actions. His language is tactful as well as bold and truthful. David gives him the choice. And sure, Saul, do you know, two chapters later, we find almost the same situation all over again. Uh, Saul's out there. He's looking for David. He's going to kill him again. But here, David gives him the choice to respond appropriately. He leaves him empowered in his leadership. And so as we think about that, I wonder what kind of language we could begin to use about and to each other. The language of truth. I would love it um, if I came in to a Sunday gathering and I overheard somebody talking really well of someone else. A bit like gossiping, but being caught gossiping good. (laughs) I would love that. When actually with the words that we choose to speak, we're clothing other people with the identity that we see that God has given them. This is my friend and she is so good at this and I love this heart that God is building in her. And instead of thinking that that's slightly cringe or awkward or maybe a bit American, actually that's just truth. And maybe we just need to start speaking it. Or maybe for you, actually, you know that you already do that, but there's something about boldness that you need to start asserting the things that God's called you to and speaking more truthfully about that. Language. How could you dignify and empower the people around you. And you probably, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, Hannah, this sounds fantastic. Culture of honor. I am so up for this. I mean, saying good things and hearing good things about me, um, kind of thinking, speaking well of people. I'm up for that. Sounds brilliant. Only problem? Me. (laughs) How, like how, how do we actually begin to do that and to live in that way? And I think the reason that David pulled it off, the reason that David could stand his ground and hold his nerve before Saul, how he postured himself for honor, was because he knew that honor started with God. It didn't start with David. It started with God, with a God who honors us. 
David um, was able to see clearly and see God's glory where nobody else could see it. His men couldn't see it. David, go and kill him. David sees clearly. David could see God's glory where no one else could see it. In Saul, in the Lord's anointed. And he could do that because he'd been choosing over a series of years in the wilderness to acquaint himself, to get familiar with God's glory, to get to know God and to make him his refuge. And I think this concept of refuge, I just want to talk about that a bit for as I just close. God as our refuge, because I think so much of that is where the culture of honor begins. And we find that all over um, David's Psalms, because this wilderness years as a kind of fugitive outlaw um, is probably where he wrote a lot of them. And this one from Psalm 16, verse 1, in you I take refuge. And I mean, there's countless others. We can probably all think of them because when you're in a hard place, that's what you go to, right? You are my refuge and my strength. You are my hiding place. You are my help in times of need. To you I run, O God. And refuge um, kind of starts out as a very physical word in the Old Testament. It's an actual physical place that you run to, like a rock or a cave, a hiding place, a place where it would be cool, where you could shelter from the fierce heat of the sun. But we see David kind of develop it in the Psalms into this concept of running actually to God, into God, into the arms of a father. David, he starts out running for his life. And at some point along the way, he finds the life that he was running for. And it's God. It's this refuge, this hiding place, this being safe in the arms of a God who knows us completely in our weaknesses, in, our, in the stuff that we get wrong, our wrongdoings, our sin, our rebellion, but still is enough and perfectly, perfectly loves us and honors us, calls us by name, speaks over us the identity that he had in mind when he made us. The truth is that, let me get real with you for a minute here, (laughs) living a life of honor without God is quite frankly exhausting because I've tried it and it doesn't work. I am just not enough. I cannot think and speak well of people all the time. I I just can't do it. I can't say nice things about people and really mean it all the time and it come from a place of security because I am not always secure. I am an insecure human as probably everybody else in this room also is. But God, God is my refuge and my strength. And the more that I've come to know him and the more that I've been saying to him, God, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. Would you be my refuge and my strength? the more from that place, from this place of refuge, of saying, I can't do this, but you can, the more I've been able to think and speak well of people, honor other people's gifts, skills, abilities, not be jealous of them. And sure, do you know, I am still messing it up, but with God, it's looking a lot more hopeful, (laughs) a lot less pasty. So God always sees clearly. It's his perspective. God always dignifies. God always speaks truth, boldness, dignity over us. He always honors. 
and we can trust him with that. And when we can trust him with that, uh, it's just amazing how he catapults us into being able to live in this way. It's like without God, people could throw fireworks of, you know, honor at you and they would just fizzle out. They wouldn't last. But when God comes along and we've been making him our refuge and our strength, It's like he places a blazing fire in us that can't go out. And other people's fireworks only add to the dazzling display that is the story he is writing with your life on display in a broken world that needs to see his glory and his goodness. That's what he does. That's what he does. It's good. And so... I wonder what culture you'd like to find yourself in. Because I sure would like to find myself in this church and in this city. To find myself in a culture of honor. And I think it starts with us as the people of God. Coming to God and saying, God, I need you. Would you be my refuge this morning? Because it starts, it starts there. We can't see clearly unless we're seeing with his perspective. And he is our refuge. And so we're actually going to come around communion this morning. We're going to come around the Lord's table and we're going to remember Jesus who himself gave, (laughs) honored us with his body that we might live, that we might be able to run once more into the arms of a father who knows us and who speaks truth over us. And that's where it begins. And so I'd love it as you come this morning. It might be just really helpful as you come and as you receive the bread and the wine to just say, it's actually grape juice, to just say to God, God, I need you. Would you be my refuge? And as you're my refuge, Father, I want to honor the people around me. I want to honor this city.